Why You'll Never Be a Rapper, a memoir mixtape by Josh What's-His-Name Lefkowitz, forward by Fonte Coleman. Chapter 13. The ride home to North Carolina was a blast. Melvin had just done his first recording session for a major label and he seemed happier and more fulfilled than I'd ever seen him. Losing my job was turning out to be a blessing in disguise. The trip would have been successful for me if I had just gotten to hang around the studio and watch Melvin work, but it wound up being so much more. Playing my music for New Yorkers gave me a confidence boost that was right on time, and the meetings that were on the horizon had me elated about the future of my music career and the possibilities. Melvin and I were friends, but on that ride home, we were close friends. We joked and laughed to tears at one point, almost driving into oncoming traffic. And when we talked, we fantasized about trips like these becoming a regular thing. It was the type of memory that I wouldn't trade for the world. I dropped Melvin off at his house and drove back home to my apartment. I still didn't know exactly how I would manage to pay rent, but I also didn't care. I never considered myself much of an optimist, but for some reason, I believed that everything was going to work out. Somehow. I couldn't even begin to think about my bills or a job. I focused on getting back to New York, where I was going to stay, and who I could recruit to join me in my journey. I called Rude to tell him the good news and ask if he wanted to come with me. He had moved to New York in 2001 with his girlfriend, but 9-11 scared her off, so they left. I knew that he was itching to get back because if there was one thing Rue was not, it was a quitter. He always said that he'd move back, but at that point, he had no real plans. Without thinking twice, Rue accepted my invitation. He said that we could crash at his girlfriend's aunt's house in Brooklyn and was sure that it would be no issue. The next day, he drove to my house and we went to the mall so I could pick up a new rapper costume and a fresh Yankees hat. The next morning, we'd be NYC bound. The drive took about nine and a half hours with traffic, which wasn't bad time. We listened to my music on the rental car's shitty audio system and ate Snyder's of Hanover, honey mustard and onion pretzel pieces. We arrived at an empty house and a note telling us to make ourselves at home. The place was bizarre, totally in the hood, and probably used to be nice before the rodent problem and whatever psychological trauma caused the owner to be an indisputable hoarder. She had entire closets brimming with shopping bags, which in turn were filled with plastic flatware, styrofoam plates and cups, plus the tops and straws. The dish drying rack next to her kitchen sink had more of the same, but all were emblazoned with fast food logos. She either knew about an impending shortage or she was totally nuts. Before bed, I ironed my outfit and cleaned my Timberland boots with a Nubuck eraser again, making sure I'd look as rappy as possible the next day. After a decent night's sleep, despite the occasional sound from scurrying mice, we grabbed a slice of pizza and headed to the Violator office at 36 West 35th Street in Manhattan. We stepped out of the elevator on the 11th floor to a small desk in a vestibule area. The space was modest but professional, and it was quiet, except for the radio that played on a low volume where the receptionist sat. I walked up to the counter and spoke to the young woman who sat there, wearing a headset and taking occasional phone calls. Hi, I'm here to see Chris Lighty, I told her. Okay, who should I tell him is here? She replied pleasantly. Tell him it's what's-his-name. What's-his-name? You got it. What's-his-name, she said laughing. That's cute, I like that. Cute, I thought. I'll take it. 
She dialed a few numbers and announced me, then removed the headset to walk Ruin me through a clear glass door and into a conference room where we sat for 45 minutes. As my mind wandered, my stomach fluttered like I had swallowed a hummingbird. Eventually, Chris Lighty himself walked through the door. He looked at Rue, then looked at me, then back at Rue. He pointed and said, what's his name? Then pointed at me and said, what's his name? Yup, I replied before he told me to follow him into his office. I was moderately perturbed that he hadn't looked at my 8x10 to remind himself of what I looked like. Although it was true that at first glance, Rue and I were about the same complexion. I got it though. He was a busy man, so maybe he didn't have time. He shook my hand like a gentleman and I followed him past the receptionist and into his office, leaving Rue behind to wait for me. He sat me down on a black love seat facing his desk, then sat himself down and got comfortable. So how you doing? He asked. I'm good, I said, trying my hardest to seem calm through all of the nerves. You mind if I eat? It's lunchtime. No problem, I said, as he opened up a small tray of sushi, broke apart his wooden chopsticks and began eating. So what's the deal, Chris said, focusing mostly on his lunch. Chillin' man, just happy to be here, I said. So tell me, who is what's-his-name? What's that? Who is what's-his-name, he repeated. I was bewildered, but I tried to act normal. I mean, who are you? Who is what's-his-name the artist? I don't know, I said, laughing nervously. I'm, I'm a rapper. I'm an MC. Yeah, I know all of that, but how would you market yourself? Because to be honest, when I saw your picture, I thought you were a black guy, Chris said, laughing. All I kept thinking in my head was, what in the world are we going to do with this light-skinned brother? Laughing to keep the mood light, I spoke again, trying to dig myself out of what felt like quicksand pulling me into a hole. I mean, I only think about it like that, I said. I just make music and let the music speak for me. Yeah, I know you do, Chris said. I like your demo. I thought it was hot. But we need something to work with here other than just what's-his-name, the dope rapper. There's a million and one of those. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I guess so. I've just never really thought about it like that. That's what I need you for, I said, trying to make the meeting seem purposeful. You gotta have something to work with, though, Chris said nonchalantly as he took another bite of a salmon roll. Like, every rapper has something. So, for instance, when we were shopping 50 Cent, he had all this negative publicity because of the how to rob joint, and then with the shooting, people didn't really want to fuck with him, so we just flipped it and said, say hello to the bad guy. We turned the fact that everyone hated him and was scared to work with him into his marketing campaign, and it worked. That's how we got the deal we just did with Dre and M. You feel what I'm saying? Chris took another bite of his sushi, put his chopsticks down, and then continued. You're from NC, right? You don't know, uh, what's that dude's name? The take your shirt off and fly it around your head like a helicopter guy? Petey Pablo? Yeah, Petey Pablo. You don't know him? Yeah, I mean, I've met him. We could go about it like that if you know him. Like, you could be in his crew, and then the affiliation card will work in your favor. But you see what I'm saying? You gotta have something other than just being good, because it doesn't work like that anymore. It's all about the marketing and the image. I was at a loss for words, but amazed at the same time. He had just explained how to get a record deal to me in less than three minutes like it was nothing. I felt like the great Duke basketball coach Mike Krzyzewski was in front of me eating sushi and telling me how to win basketball games by telling rather than showing. But I also started to realize that this meeting wasn't going as well as I would have hoped and I got anxious. I remembered that Rue was sitting in the conference room. As Chris explained strategy, I thought about how Rue used to tell everyone that he was going to own his own record label one day. Thus far, our relationship had never gone beyond general friendship, but I needed a lifeline because I was drowning in there. It was risky, but I had to give it a shot. 
Hey, I said, breaking the brief and awkward silence. You mind if I grab my man Rue from the waiting room? He's more of a marketing dude than I am. Sure, no problem, Chris said nicely, mixing more wasabi into his small dish of soy sauce. I stood up fast and moved as quickly as I could to the waiting room without seeming frantic. I pulled the door open harder than I probably needed to and closed it behind me. Rue was confused, but I spoke to him before he could ask me why I was back so soon. I was frenzied, but concentrating on keeping my voice down. Yo, listen, he has me in the room and he's asking me about marketing shit. I don't know a fucking thing about any of this, so I asked him if I could come get you. You think you could pull something out of your ass real quick? Without hesitation, Roos said, hell yeah, and jumped up like a proud soldier ready for battle. We got back to Chris's office where he was just throwing away his empty sushi tray in the garbage can under his desk. Chris, I said, this is my boy Roo. I was telling Chris that you're more of a marketing dude and that I just kind of write songs. He was asking me about how I would market myself and I figured I'd get you. Chris played along, but I can only imagine how ridiculously unprepared we looked. Yeah, Chris said. I was explaining to him how the whole marketing and image aspect of the music industry worked, and I asked who What's-His-Name was. Like, how did he see himself? So what do you think? To this day, I will never forget what Rue said to this man verbatim. And God bless his soul for trying, but I almost couldn't have imagined a more absurd reply if I tried. I mean, Rue said. Jay, he's like the baby face of rap. Oh my God, I thought to myself. What the fuck did he just say? The baby face of rap? What the fuck does that even mean? Lighty continued to play along with a straight face. I almost don't know how he managed not to laugh in our faces. Yeah, but didn't they do that with little Zane already? He said. Oh my god, little Zane? I prayed that it would stop. Nah, Rue said confidently. He's different because he can really spit, but the girls like him too. Oh Jesus Christ, this is so over, I thought. I feel what you're saying, Chris replied, but we gotta have something I can work with, you know? Yeah, I got you, I replied, trying to look normal after all the mortifying fodder. When that guy called me, uh, Chris struggled to remember Dave's name. David? I said. Yeah, David. When he called me, I wasn't sure if you were already signed or what, because he said something about Interscope. I figured you had a deal and just needed management. Nah, man, Dave's my boy. He manages Primus, who's signed to Interscope. He's in the rock world, so he thought it would be a good idea to go to you for management. I was trying to dig myself out of this terrific hole I was now standing in. That's cool, man. We just gotta come up with something, you know? Like something I can use. Why don't we brainstorm and then circle back? Sound good? You in town for a while? Nah, we're leaving today. Gotta get back to North Carolina. Okay, cool. So you have my numbers. Let's see what we can come up with and then discuss, Chris said nicely as he shook both of our hands and walked us out into the lobby. I'll speak with y'all soon, all right? Bye, what's his name? The receptionist said in what felt like a flirtatious tone, which I noticed despite my feelings of having just drowned. Bye, I replied as I pushed the button and waited silently and endlessly for the doors to close. The baby face of rap, yo? I said to Rue while laughing to release some of the pressure I felt in my belly. Shit, man, I was on the spot. I didn't know what the fuck to say, he replied, laughing even harder than I was after finally realizing what he had just said. Okay, I just wish you wouldn't have said that. We left and began wandering aimlessly. We discussed what had just happened and I filled him in on the few minutes that he missed while in the waiting room. That was totally fucked, but I feel like he was genuine with the whole let's circle back thing. Am I bugging? I asked. Nah, yo, really, really? I feel like he still wants to fuck with you, Bruce said. Eventually, we arrived at Greeley Square, 
a small park on the east side of the Manhattan Mall near Herald Square. We sat down at a small table and continued talking. I relayed all of the information that Lighty had just bestowed upon me, complete with specific examples. As I spoke, I probably sounded like a kid attempting to regurgitate a story that my older brother told me, presenting the facts like I had witnessed them firsthand. And like a schoolmate, Rue was taking it in with extreme interest. You know, Rue said confidently, I could come up with a dope marketing plan for you. I could put it in PowerPoint and impress the shit out of them. I didn't know if I believed him, but I liked the idea of having someone on my side who believed in my music. He was just a year removed from receiving his bachelor's degree in marketing, but I had no idea what his training entailed. What I did know was that Rue had a gift for convincing people to believe in what he was saying. Whether it was one of the impressionable young ladies that he was able to talk out of their unmentionables, or an upperclassman he was finessing to get access to all of the good parties as a freshman, the dude had the gift of gab. So though I wasn't sure if he even knew what a marketing plan looked like, I wanted to believe that he did. For years I had been ignoring his attempts to get involved in my music career and passed them off as nothing more than nonsense. Now I felt his confidence could be an asset to me. As he spoke about all of the things he was going to do with the presentation, often getting excited to a point where he would interrupt himself with a, oh this is going to be so hot, check this out, I thought back to when we were at Jive. Though people didn't exactly wave off my rap dreams, they took his talks of one day owning a record label far more seriously than my talks about being signed to one. Maybe, just maybe this could work. I knew that an artist had to have representation. I always figured I would get signed based on my talent and then just ask my brother to manage the business matters of my career. I mean, if you can't trust your brother not to screw you over for money, then whom can you trust? But it was starting to feel like that wasn't going to be how my story played out. And as an artist, one can't very well walk into the boardroom of a record label and say, Hey everyone, I'm What's-His-Name, check out my raps, and just expect to be taken seriously. In North Carolina, I didn't have to know who What's-His-Name was. What's-His-Name was Josh's rap name, and everyone knew Josh that rapped. No marketing involved. People saw that the girls I dated were attractive. They saw that I wore nice clothes. They knew that the confidence I had came from years of winning rap battles and making better music than most of my contemporaries. But this wasn't Durham, North Carolina anymore. This was the big leagues. No one outside of my hometown knew Josh who rapped, so introducing them to What's-His-Name would be a chore. Simply playing them my music wasn't going to suffice. I needed a mouthpiece. And who better to help me convey to the world who I was as an artist than my best friend? Yo, I said think we need to move to New York. Rue seemed intrigued. I don't have a job. I don't have shit with this music in my fucking dreams. I think it's finally time to go. Listen, if you ready to go, then I'm down. I was already planning to move back here in November, December anyway, Rue replied. So let's do it then, I screamed. Hell yeah, Rue said as we stood up and gave each other dap and hugged. We sat back down wearing smiles. I stared into space as I took a swig off the 20-ounce soda I had been drinking off and on for the past 30 minutes. I was never one to gamble, but I knew that stepping out based on faith and risking it all meant that my subconscious mind believed in my music as much as my conscious one did. I wasn't even thrown when, just as I got myself to a state of calm, a bird flew by and shit on the shoulder of my brand new shirt. I couldn't even afford to buy new clothing, so I wore it with the tag still attached so that I could return it when we got home. I looked up at Rue, who was red in the face and wide-eyed from trying not to laugh. Of course, I said, smiling. Of course. A few days later, someone told me that a bird shitting on you was good luck. 
I didn't know if that was an affirmation that I was making the right decision, but that's what I told myself. And I was able to successfully return that $75 shirt without being questioned. I took that as a sign. My apologies if you ever bought a short-sleeved chambray Sean John button-down shirt in size XL from Urban Hype in Durham.